This is the Timepieces History Podcast, brought to you by Gudrun Lorette, the expert in using modern marketing methods for the traditional heritage sector. Each bite-sized show shares the story of a place, person or object from the past in around 10 minutes. And now, here's today's show. Hello and welcome to the Time Pieces History Podcast. This is the first episode of our new season. We're on to season three already, I can't believe it. And this season we're going to be looking at the Romans. I've picked six sites that they built in the northern half of the country and six things that represent what comes to mind when we think of the Romans. At the end of the season there'll be two bonus episodes, a guest interview and a review of a funding event I'm attending in August. I'd love to know what you think of these episodes, so please come and find me on Twitter at Gudrun Lorette or leave a comment on your audio player of choice. Alternatively, you can pop a message onto the relevant podcast page over at gudrunlorette.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the show notes, useful links and an episode transcript and no email address is required to access that. So today we're looking at Vindolanda up on the northern frontier. In case you're interested, Vindolanda means white fields or white lawns and it was built to protect the Stangate, the road which ran from the River Tyne to the Solway Firth. The Fort of Vindolanda is situated just to the south of Hadrian's Wall and was actually in place before construction on the wall began. A stone fort would take only two years to build and a wooden one could go up even quicker. There were five wooden versions of the fort, each built on top of the remains of the last, with the original fort constructed by the first cohort of Tungrians, I think that's right, about AD 85. The soldiers would have remained at Vindolanda until Hadrian's Wall was built and then moved to, this is a bit tricky to say, so bear with me, Vicovicium, which is now known as Housesteads and that can still be visited today, and a stone fort would have been built on the site later on. An astonishing number of artefacts have been discovered there, but what is more remarkable is the collection of papers which date mostly to the 1st century AD. Site director Robin Burley discovered the postcard-sized letters written on thin slices of wood in the peat-rich soil around the fort in the 1970s. The documents found at Vindolanda are letters and lists and give an insight into daily life on the northern frontier. The collection includes shopping lists, inventories and a birthday invitation between friends whose husbands were in charge of two of the mile castles. Burley and his team made their initial discovery when they put in a drainage ditch to remove the water build-up caused by excavation work they were carrying out. During the digging, they found the remains of two timber posts, which they realised were part of an early wooden fort. In his book The Wall, Alistair Moffat explains that when the archaeological work began so they could see what was left of the fort, they uncovered layers of clay or turf, originally flattened during the building work to make the land smoother for the building of the fort. Each layer had effectively been sealed, oxygen-free, trapping the wooden letters, fragments of leather and other items such as combs and brooches, and preserving them under the earth. Of course, as soon as they were exposed to the air, many of the artefacts, letters included, disintegrated or blackened. Burley and a colleague went on a hunt for someone who could help them read the text despite the damage, although they weren't sure if they'd succeed. A handwriting expert at Durham sent them to the medical school at Newcastle University to see if the infrared photography would penetrate the black, but that failed. From there, they found a doctor at Manchester University who was an expert in papyrus scrolls, and he worked alongside a professor from Durham to decipher the texts. Ultimately, the Vindolanda find presents a contemporary record of life in the period leading up to the construction of the wall. It describes daily experiences of people in all different roles, thrown together in one of the furthest outposts of the Great Roman Empire. 
The commanding officers of the Roman army were allowed to bring their wives and families with them, which accounts for the discovery of school exercise sheets amongst the find. To be able to purchase a command, the prospective leader had to be worth at least 400,000 sesterci, which suggests that only the wealthiest of men held these jobs. Clearly, there was plenty of money amongst those living on the frontier, which no doubt came in handy when they needed supplies. Also among the find were requests from the legionaries to the commander to be granted leave. One wanted to have a night out in a big city, which was Corbridge, just down the road, and another was going off to buy something unspecified. One of the commanders whose experiences are documented is Flavius Cerealis, and it's his wife who wrote to her friend at the next mile castle. When he wasn't dealing with holiday applications, Cerealis enjoyed hunting, which was entirely fitting for a man of his aristocratic stature. Much of the administration of the fort would have been given to his juniors, allowing him time to indulge in his hobby. As well as deer, game and songbirds, Cerealis would have hunted bear and wolves, which is hard to imagine when you visit Northumberland today. Hunting was so important that the fort at Vindolanda even had a shrine dedicated to Diana, the goddess of hunting. Much of what was caught would have been served for dinner, and a list written by Cerealis' wife, Sulpicia Lepidina, shows her inventory of plates, side dishes and serving platters. The meal would have been accompanied by wine, transported from Spain and Gaul by boats as far as Corbridge, and then by cart from the banks of the river. The soldiers stationed at Vindolanda would have interacted with the civilians living around the fort and often found themselves wives from the local population. Many started families remained in the north rather than going back to their homeland, which they were permitted to do. Sons of these retired soldiers would often join the army and possibly serve at either Vindolanda or at Housestead's fort. That's everything for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you've visited Vindolanda, let me know, and I'll be back later on this week with another episode for you. Thank you for listening to the Time Pieces History Podcast. Don't forget to listen next time for more quick history facts.